So the thing with e-commerce is because you aren't sampling the products and people don't get to see your products in their hands and in their mouths, you have to build a lot of trust, right? You have to sort of convey the experience to these people without them trying the product. Welcome to How I Fixed It, a podcast where we cut the noise and learn step-by-step strategies entrepreneurs use to grow. I'm your host, Madhav Malhotra, and today I'm lucky to be joined by William Wang, the founder of Zentine Nutrition. Zentine is an e-commerce protein bar brand that focuses on simple nutrients, and I'm very excited to learn more about Will's experience growing e-commerce at Zentine while still making the most of being a student founder. Thank you again for taking the time to join me today. I really appreciate you sharing a little bit of your knowledge, and I'm very excited to dive into the key areas that you're an expert in. But before we got started, I'd love to hear like a little bit more of your story and who you are and how you got started with Zentine. Of course, and it's a pleasure being here. My name is William Wang. I'm a recent graduate from the Ivy Business School. I'm also a logistics officer in the Canadian Armed Forces Reserves, and I'm also the founder and CEO of Zentine Nutrition. Now, Zentine Nutrition sort of came about because I realized that I was always busy in school or at work or working out, and I realized that I really needed a convenient and nutritional uh, source of food, right? Almost like a snack. I realized that I was always busy and that I was either skipping meals or spending too much money on takeout or eating foods that you know weren't truly healthy for my body. And by that, I mean, there's a lot of protein bars and snacks on the market, but I realized that when I was looking at their ingredients, there was artificial sweeteners, fillers, or ingredients that I didn't recognize that I knew that over time would be negative for my body. So with Zentine Nutrition, I thought, hey, I'll tackle this problem myself and create one of the market's healthiest, best tasting, and most nutritious snack product. And I think we did manage to do that with our protein bar, the Ready Set Protein Bar. And uh, just to give you a little background on the product, there's 25 grams of protein per protein bar. Um, It's only made with five ingredients, collagen, peanut butter, dark chocolate, honey, and rolled oats. And it's currently been on sale for around a year. And uh, we've been having some great results from the market. Yeah, no, I think we'll definitely talk more about the amazing sales after. But I think surprised me about your journey was just how many turns and twists came along the way. And especially, I remember... How did you actually decide to start this? Right, for sure. So for some background, I've always been interested in the food industry. And that's why I wanted to pursue studying business, because uh, my long-term goal is to become a restaurateur and open a bunch of restaurants. However, last year, around the start of COVID-19, I basically had the idea, right, because of my problem with finding a healthy snack. I had the idea of a protein bar company, and I thought, hey, I can use this as sort of a learning process and as a first business before I, you know, actually opened a restaurant. So around that time at Western University, there was an accelerator program that was open for application. And this was called the Western Accelerator Summer Program. And basically, it's a program at our university that offers funding and mentorship for the summer to support entrepreneurs. So I realized I only had a rapid turnaround of maybe three or four days before the application was due. So I really had to validate my idea very, very quickly. And uh, after I came up with idea for a super healthy protein bar, I quickly, uh, you know, ordered the ingredients that I had formulated in my mind to quickly create an MVP, which is a minimum viable product, because that was one of the requirements that the accelerator needed. After that, you know, I sort of used the networks that I had made available at Western University. So for example, like all universities, 
my student has many varsity athletic teams. So I reached out to my contacts on teams such as the football team, the soccer team, and I basically created a survey, a very quick Google survey that essentially captured all of the key questions that I wanted to know about the protein bar market and what these athletes were doing. And one of the main insights I'd drawn for that after getting a couple of hundred responses was that 70%, roughly 70% of all athletes under their favorite protein bar flavor had mentioned peanut butter or something to do with the peanut butter flavor. So in my mind, I was instantly like, okay, for my MVP, my minimum viable product, I will create a peanut butter protein bar. However, my original pitch to the accelerator and what got me accepted is different than our products right now. Because when I first applied, I had created my MVP with cricket protein, which is like an insect-based protein in the protein bar. And my whole intention behind that was to drive the sustainability and to push an alternative form of protein that was away from the mainstream. Unfortunately, right after I got accepted into the accelerator and as COVID-19 started to develop and become increasingly restrictive, my cricket supplier that I had found overseas, their prices also surged up and it became economically unfeasible for us to use cricket powder in our protein bars. So mid-summer, we had to quickly pivot and find an alternative protein source that you know was different and had differentiating factors from the alternatives on the market, such as soy or whey. But we also had to, you know, find it fast enough and incorporate it into our existing recipe and have it all blend together. And we finally settled on collagen protein. So when you were going through that process, I can imagine it's a really frantic time because it's like, on the one hand, you're worried like, well, the customer is like this new protein. And on the other, it's like, now we have to balance all these supplier demands. But then also we're in an accelerator. So you have like timeline pressures on top of that. And I don't know like if you were working with a team back then, but for me, whenever I've been in those tough situations, it's been really hard to like line everyone on, you know, which direction should we go in? So do you remember like any of the challenges that came up when you were trying to make that pivot and make that key decision? Right. Well, there were so many things going around at that time because we were designing our packaging, both for the actual pouches of the protein bars and also for the cardboard box. And uh, we were dealing with all the legal requirements of starting up a business as well. But one of the main things that's made it easy for us to settle which protein at the very end was the unique health benefits of collagen. If you go on Google and search up collagen, there are numerous scientific journals and studies that show its effects on improving skin health, um, nail health, hair health, also in reducing joint pain. And because of all of these actual effects that collagen had on the physical body, we decided that it was an easy direction to go in. However, that posed the other problem because collagen is only available from meat sources and it's not vegan or vegetarian, right? So um, we, we sort of had the internal debate within our team, knowing that if we did include collagen, then we couldn't label our bar as vegetarian or vegan because of the meat product. But in the end, we did balance the trade-off and decided that the market for um, non-vegan or vegetarian bars still presented a large enough opportunity. Another great thing about the accelerator, yes, you said that there were many deadlines that we had to meet, but the accelerator provided a key thing and that was the network and the community. I was surrounded by a handful of other businesses, all with entrepreneurs going through the same problem. And a lot of them are also food companies that were also, you know, going through the same packaging design and also the same food and recipe formulations. So we really bounce off of each other to uh, give each other advice. And through the accelerator as well, we also were able to access many of Western's advisors that were key to our business development. 
What's an example of something where recall like I went over to another company they were working on their thing but they gave me a really nice tip or same thing for your advisors where they really helped you move forward with the decision right so I can instantly um, recall the name of one of our advisors because I still go to her on a monthly basis and her name's Nicole Haney her prior experience before becoming an advisor at Western was that she also ran her own national snack bar company that was across Canada so her business was almost a one-to-one relation to mine, except through her, she was what gave me the strategic pivot to only sell via e-commerce because Nicole's protein bar business was very retailer focused and that she would drive from store to store and build these relationships with retailers. And right from the very beginning, when I learned that, I had said in my mind, okay, well, this is something that I do not want to do. I do not want to spend my days driving, you know, from store to store and selling the protein bars. I'd rather take it online And luckily with COVID-19, it sort of helped me shift to the online approach, right? But for example, right on the onset, Nicole almost warned me saying that, well, if you do want to go into retailers, you may have to, you know, invest a lot of time on the road and make these relationships. So she sort of gave me that idea right from the start and set the direction I wanted to not go in. So could you tell me, like, how did you maintain that mentorship for so long? Was there any way that you were able to like, keep communicating between your mentor or make sure that like, her incentives were aligned with yours? Well, it, it was easy with Nicole because she is a Western advisor. So Western University actually gave us an online format where we could book appointments with her just through the online entrepreneurship portal. However, with my other advisors or even with the other businesses in the Accelerator that we still keep in contact, you really have to put effort into the relationship in order to make it last, right? Um, For example, with the other businesses, I will reach out monthly and just be like, hey, how's it going? I'll share updates first about Zentine or something that I think would help them. And through that, we we still maintain in contact and sort of maintain that community that we had last summer. How do you like make sure to keep that reminder like every month to reach out? Well, it, it's helpful because When I reach out, I also normally tend to learn something that benefits my business just because there are other small businesses. So I have the incentive to reach out. So sometimes when I'm facing difficulties of my own, that'll be sort of one in my mind. I say, okay, maybe let's reach out to someone else and see if they've experienced it themselves as well. Yeah, I definitely know how hard it can be sometimes to prioritize people, even though you know just how valuable they can be. So for me, I've had to even create like an Excel tracker where every month I have to have a list of, you know, these are the friends, these are the mentors, these are the other connections that you need to reach out to. And even still, sometimes I forget. So I really admire you building the habit. Thanks. And I think with your Excel tracker, you're definitely a lot more organized in the approach than I'm doing because I'm just sort of letting these relationships that have already happened happen organically and blossom. It's also easier because we're all businesses. We all have an Instagram or social media account that we also interact with. So every time I see them post something on their business, I can just like your comment and we can keep in contact through our business as well, rather than through, you know, founder to founder. So that always helps. Yeah, and actually, have you been noticing that now you're not in the university environment with all the other founders, that there are some benefits that you can't access anymore? Well, I 
just recently finished school last April. So I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be completely honest. So in some of my cold emails, I'm still describing myself as a student, or I mentioned recent graduate from school. And that really does help because I think at our age, if we're reaching out to, you know, people that are older in their 40s or 50s, they sort of bunch us together in the same group, right? As sort of like just young adults, young students, and they just see energy and passion when it comes from people our age. Yeah, there definitely are a lot of benefits of being a student founder, but then also I've heard a lot of advice from people saying, don't start a company unless you've actually graduated and it's your full-time responsibility. So in your case, do you remember any downsides as well to being a student founder and having to balance school and academics with everything? For sure. Yeah. So in my second semester of Ivy, I had five courses and I calculated once. And I think that one time on average, every week I had about like 300 pages of readings or something like during, during the very intense moments. Right. And it was pretty insane, but um, there was definitely ways to cope with it. Firstly, I had a team of interns. Again, I was using the university net network and resources. So at our university, we had a marketing association and also a pre-business students network. And from both of these clubs, I sent them emails that summer and I managed to secure interns, both for marketing and for sales. So I had the interns that were you know, monitoring our social media and they could provide content while I was really busy. However, um, it came to a point that I actually became so busy that I couldn't go into the kitchen, into our commercial kitchen here in London to help and facilitate the production of, of the protein bars. So in order to minimize sales, I went into the back end of our website and I just raised the prices of our boxes, right? Um, it's basic economics. And although that was bad for business, it helped sort of balance the load between my school life and my work. I'm so thankful that I managed to graduate university, though, because now I can dedicate my full time on Zentine and my other entrepreneurial endeavors. Yeah, no, that, that's funny. Customers have too much of you, okay? I know you love me too much. Just hold still. I'm going to raise up the prices. I'll be right. back. Hold still for two weeks while I study for exams, and I promise <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> well, yes. tell me more. Like it, it really does seem Zentine has a lot of very nice customers. I've seen all of the amazing Google reviews you have online. Okay, starting from zero to now you have an amazing brand. Like what are the key milestones you remember along the way? What did you try to make that reality happen? Sure. So the one major thing that I fixate on even to this day is the fact that food is an experiential product, right? Um, the best way to sell food is if someone takes your food product, puts it in their mouth, tries it out for themselves. And that's why there's so many food brands that does sampling, right? When you go to Costco, when you go to grocery stores, back in the day before COVID, you could always get free samples. And that was one of the best ways to market. So the thing with e-commerce is because you aren't sampling the products and people don't get to see your products in their hands and in their mouths, you have to build a lot of trust, right? You have to sort of convey the experience to these people without them trying the product. So for me, my mind naturally went to reviews, right? When a customer tries your product and they leaves an honest review, it helps establish trust. And it's also like an experience. It's not your own personal experience, but my logic was if a consumer goes on my website and sees enough other consumers having positive experiences, it'll sway them, right? And it'll create the experience for themselves without you know the sampling. So right from the very start in each of my Zenzine boxes that I sent out for sale, 
I included a little, um, you know, I made this on Canva. It was a little graphic design. It says, you know, thank you for your purchase. I would write in their names and then I would type or write. At first I wrote, but afterwards I, I just had a pre-made format. But I would have a sentence saying, you know, please leave an honest Google review. We really appreciate it. You know, it just helps us spread the word and build. And through that, um, we had a lot of consumers that wrote reviews for us. I think one, one of the key things, though, behind these great reviews is also the product. Um, I think when I made the product with just five ingredients, I sort of nailed on a key problem that a lot of consumers have with other protein bars. And that was, you know, all the artificial fillers or the other extra ingredients that would cause them to feel bloated or have stomach issues and et cetera. Because as soon as they tried Zencine and realized they didn't have all those problems, they wanted to go and, you know, share the reviews and tell people that, hey, I finally found a protein bar that I can eat. I think it's amazing. And did you have experience with like e-commerce and building this kind of marketing presence before? I definitely did not have um, experience with e-commerce. Everything that I've been doing with e-commerce, I've been sort of experimenting and learning as I go. A huge part of e-commerce that I had to make was a website, right? The actual platform that you can interact with people. And that was a huge learning process as well. With the website, there's a whole bunch of things to focus on, like SEO, like search engine optimization, and you know, making the buyer journey so that when a consumer goes on your website and as they scroll, all their questions are answered and they want to buy. So um, I definitely had to reach out to a bunch of experts in internet design and all that in order to create our website. Any resources that you would recommend? Any resources? Uh, so yes, so right now we personally like we and we analyze into our own SEO and we use this website called ahrefs.com. So it's ahrefs.com and it provides comprehensive reports um, on you know keywords. You can even see what your competitors are putting ads up for, like for Google keywords and trends and you know how your website is doing. Yeah, no, I will have to learn more about that when I get out there. But when you are going about the e-commerce cycle, especially, we've been learning about, you know, how to make decisions and the key metrics you might focus on, et cetera. And that's huge in e-commerce. So could you tell us more about that experience plus any other realizations you had through the data? Sure. So when I first made the protein bar, right, I love to work out and I was at the gym maybe four or five times a week. So in my mind, I had designed the protein bar for athletes, right? High protein, five ingredients, and it's great for to support athletic performance. So at the beginning, when I first launched Enzyme, all of our sort of branding and our graphics were targeted toward athletes. When you went on our first version of our website, everything was black and sleek, right? We used a lot of black. We had a lot of action. We had athletes all over our, our website. But what happened was as sales started and, you know, after a couple of months of seeing the sales data, we realized that, yes, we were getting athletes that were buying protein bars. However, most of our consumers that were buying these protein bars were females. They were either female athletes or, you know, female moms, but they were female in the ranges of, say, 20 to 65 and through that data, we realized that 70 to 80% of all our purchases were from females. After digging in, um, we realized that it's probably because of our collagen, right? Because the inclusion of collagen is great for skin, hair, and nails. And we actually have a lot of reviews from females on Google and also just sending us messages saying the positive effects they've had on their skin, hair, and nails. So after realizing that, I did a revamp of our website. 
And this strategy is sort of still in play today, because now if you go on Zentine's website, rather than having everything be black and sporty, they're very neutral colors, right? I, I use light pinks, we use light browns, and that's sort of to appeal to more of the female audience. We, we were almost emulating a sort of one of our interns put it like a skincare sort of like a cosmetic care feel because we want to play on like the skin. However, because I still also want to target athletes, the influencers that we've been engaging with have been female, but also athletes. So I sort of hit both target markets in one. Yeah, and I know it takes a lot of effort to get things like social media marketing and websites going. So do you find that when it comes to the overall team, you're the end person making the final call on which direction to go in? Or is your culture more like whichever intern is specialized at X, you take care of that decision and we'll all contribute to the direction we head in? Actually, both. I adopted both of those mentalities because when my interns first joined the team, I we, we had a group call and I told them, hey, I'm here to support your learning experience as much as possible as well while you're here this year, right? You guys are in first or second or third year in university and Zentine is a vehicle for you to like get actual tangible experience doing you know everything from social media to sales. So if you have any projects that you want to do, by all means, please, please bring it to me because I'm willing to try it out because if it's a good enough idea, it'll also benefit the company. So I was upfront with them about that um, because for me personally, I also like, you know, experimenting and learning and uh, Zenzine sort of gives us a safe place to do it because, you know, we'd want to be profitable and all that, but it is a business. So we can try a lot of new things to see uh, what, what, what happens. However, I also have personal goals for the company, right? And for those in those initiatives and the things that I think about, I do have to be the one to spearhead it. So no fault of my interns, but it's because they're also students, right? They, they also have other obligations. So if I want to do something, I have to put the energy behind to make sure that it happens. And if you could like go deeper into that, what are some specific examples of either case? So with Zenzine, I wanted the business to engage in a lot of serving back to the community, right? Whether with helping other nonprofit organizations or using our protein bars and donating it somehow. So one of our interns had a relationship with this nonprofit organization in Toronto. Through that, you know, we managed to get the introduction with them and we managed to donate protein bars to that organization. There's also other initiatives. For example, our whole social media outreach strategy. I basically told the interns, I said, hey, we need some influencers. Um, you know, you you guys are all more social media savvy than I am. You're all on TikTok. I'm not. Um, why don't you guys really determine, you know, what is our target market and find us some influencers, right? I obviously gave them the basic criteria. I was like, they should be athletes. You know, they should be within Ontario um, just so, you know, they're local and we can interact with them better. But other than that, like, let's see what you guys have. And they came back and they all wrote their own versions of, you know, their cold email or cold DM. And it was a great experience because it was nice seeing so many perspectives and how they would each approach the problem. That's an amazing part about being on a team. You are actually getting feedback back. You are actually learning along the way. And that's a huge priority for you because like, there are so many things that you just have to figure out. Right. It just always have to be open to learning. And when I do make a mistake, I always try to see it as a learning opportunity, right? Because I'd rather make a mistake and go backwards than you know not do anything and stay the same place, right? Well, let's talk about that. So in my personal experience, like when it comes to making mistakes, I can 
do it and think, okay, let me get over the failure. Let me pull myself personally out of that shock so that I can move on. But I also feel like sometimes it's helpful to have like systems around that so that you can actually make sure not to repeat the mistake. Did you find any tools that helped you learn from the failures a little bit better? Sure. So this is a huge tool that I've used personally. This isn't, um, you know, a professional or business tool yet. And it's not like, although it, it could be, but personally, uh, one thing that has helped me, especially this past year with COVID-19, being stuck at home and also the stresses of running a business and juggling all of that, um, it has been meditation. So I'll set a time aside every single day, um, a good half an hour, and I'll take that time to really think and, you know, let the thoughts in my brain percolate. I'll practice various different types of meditation, like there's mindfulness, um, like Isha Kriya, like all the different cultures. But ideally, the time is for me to take myself away from the work environment, and it forces me to spend time with my thoughts. And I don't really know how it works, but magic happens because either my subconscious thoughts roll around in my brain, but after those sessions, I always come back to the problem with the renewed perspective. I feel more refreshed and, uh, you know, I don't feel as, say, beaten up as I would have been if I had just not taken the time to think. Do you do it like at a particular time every day or every time you feel the need to relax a little bit more? Every time I feel the need uh, to relax a little bit more. So now it's now my meditation time normally correlates around around 1 to 3 p.m. Like after my morning of doing a bunch of emails and probably some problem will, will arise and I'll be like, okay, I need some time to think this through so then I can keep going. And another thing that helps me deal with mistakes or things going wrong is that in my mindset, I always think of my next business because I think I love entrepreneurship, right? And I think that I want to do this for, you know, the rest of my life. So when I think of like, oh, whatever next business I'm doing, and I take the problem that I, that, that I just created, it helps because I apply it and sort of broadcast it to another scenario. And it helps me rationalize it in the current scenario. Yeah, I think it's really hard to get into that mindset personally. So maybe I have to do a little bit more practicing. And I really like, like all these specific tips that you share. I think this has definitely been a very, very valuable podcast, but I did want to ask one last like hot seat question, which I usually ask people. If you look back at your journey and you thought about some lessons you had to learn the hard way, would you have anything come to mind there? Um, when I first created my protein bars, I just designed my labeling and my ingredients to be compliant for sale in Canada. Because at the time I thought, hey, if I could access... 36 million people in Canada, that would be a great market. However, now, now that I look back, I really, really wish that I'd taken the extra time to make my packaging compliant for the US as well. Because we even have emails coming in from people in the US saying, hey, can we buy your product? And unfortunately, we cannot because we cannot ship it because our, our labeling and stuff is only um, legal for sale in Canada. And I guess that translates to I was thinking too small when, when I first started. I was scared to, you know, have bigger goals of selling protein bars across North America. Granted, like across Canada, it's still, it's still a good goal, but I should have been, you know, hey, like I have a great product. Let's try to push sales across North America. And that's one thing that I really wish because now the process of redesigning the whole packaging, you know, getting a new box, getting a new pouch, I will have to do it eventually if I want to enter the U.S., but the process does take time and extra investment. And I wish I'd just done it at the very start. Yeah, 
it's like a little bit hard to know like how much a long time is but if people mm -hmm. are you know curious they like your company and they want to see what's next what are some next steps that they can expect where can they learn more about your product etc yeah for sure so our main way of engaging with uh the audience right now is through our, our website or our instagram so our, our website is www.zentine.ca and our instagram is just at zentine.ca if anyone wants to reach out with any questions, my own email is will at zentine.ca. All right, I'll be sure to include those details at the end and also the resources you mentioned throughout. But I really appreciate diving into the specifics. I think you're on a really great path. You have all of the energy. So I really appreciate you sharing that with me today. Awesome. And thank you so much for inviting me to the podcast and giving me an opportunity to share my experiences.